2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. I still have these these other women that I sexted with. So because I was bored of, of my affair partner, I would hit these other women up. God, I want to give you my life. I walked away from that conversation forgiven. Like that was the first time in 10 years that I slept with no guilt, with no shame, with no condemnation. And I had so much peace. Yo, welcome to the Death Alive podcast. I'm Richard Young, and today's episode has been a long time coming. It is with my brother, Eddie Cornejo. And whatever you think about Eddie Cornejo, I think you're going to have a a much, I'm not sure if it's different if you know him now, but a more intimate picture of this guy. The first time I met Eddie, I knew he was married to one of my homies from high school, Jayla, and I did not like him. No cap. Like this dude was just, I just felt like he was trying to position himself to get ahead. And maybe I didn't like him because I didn't think that he liked me that much. But then the second time I met this dude, I rolled up onto him as he was praying and speaking life over a waitress in a restaurant as she was battling with addiction to to nicotine. And in the next three hours, I drove him and his wife Jayla to Lincoln, and this is at the end of September 2019, and I heard a version of the story that you're about to hear, but I heard it from Jayla, and... It was one of the wildest stories I'd ever heard in my life, and it continues to be one of the wildest stories I've ever heard, but in a good way, because it's just, it's a miracle. That's all I can say about it. And it's changed my life in many ways. And like, this is, this is the guy you've, uh, you've heard about in in the podcast for the last year. So like, this is definitely not for kids, um, but man, all I can say is listen to this book. So, uh, without further ado, here, here's my conversation with my brother. Man, this is real talk. God is loving on me. 
colorful and innocent, that's on me. Got me standing in the light, and it's on me. It's a new heart, it's a new beat. It's a new thing, it's a new seat. It's a new thing, it's a new dream. It's a new heart, it's a new beat. Yeah. Got me singing like. Got me singing where, uh, where does this thing start? Uh, man, first of all, it's crazy that we're here finally. <laughs> really, I, I don't, I don't think it's that crazy. No, because like, I, like you haven't been mentioned in almost all the podcasts, and <laughs> like we haven't been like hearing about this dude, but actually not having you on here for over a year now or anything like that since like podcast number one to podcast number forty-eight. Have we? <sighs> You know, it's funny because every time that, uh, you know, when DTL started and Tyler's story was told and Morgan's story was told and all these stories are coming out early on, there's a space where I'm like, man, I wish I could tell my story like that. And how come, how come everybody else is telling their story and I'm not, you know? And then it was mm-hmm. like, it, it's funny because that lie of, even in freedom, that lie of, of comparison um, always try tries to get back in. So what do you do when that lie comes up then? Because I think you and I have talked about this stuff before, where because we have similar stories, similar and not, and, and not the same at the same time, where um, we both had stuff that was like embarrassing Mm. where we had to leave something and the feelings that come along with that and the thoughts that come along with that. And you've spoken life to me many times about it. And I I've tried to be able to speak some life to you about it when I can tell like, Oh man, he's, he's feeling, he's feeling some type of way right now. (laughs) So what, what have you done and what truth rises above that? (laughs) You know, like, the one thing that that when when those kind of thoughts try to rise up, I'm just like, wait a minute, hold up, this is dumb. There's no need for me to evoke or rest, like lift up my spirit in truth or whatever. Because and don't hear what I'm not saying, but like we've been here before. So and the reality is that we know how to walk in truth. That we actually walk in truth. We are in the light, and so it's just a matter of like, yo. This is dumb. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, no, I mean, we can just get into it because this is not now. This is how I operate. But as you'll hear, um, once freedom got a hold of me, I had to learn how to believe truth and speak it over my life to the point that now. You know, when something rises up, I'm just like, man, that's dumb. That's whack. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to see it and move on. So. So when we talk about old Eddie, I'm sure there's a bunch of old Eddie stories from your childhood that we could say, oh, this happened here and this happened here. But when you're a kid, you're a kid. When did you feel like old Eddie like, when did he start seeing it and saying, oh, if I do this, it works out in my favor. And you started moving in that. 
Hmm. Yeah, so there is, as, as you're asking that question, there's a vivid story that comes to mind. So I, I grew up in Peru, and my dad was a faculty, uh, was part of the seminary department out there in the Peruvian University. And so I went to academy there, and, and it was a very, you know, close uh, community, tight community. And so in comparison to my compatriots, I'm a little bit lighter skin and, and things like that. So, so there was that going for me. Um, as far as the, the, my social standing, add to that. Which is messed up, by the which way. Is we all know super that's messed, messed up. up. Yeah, which is super messed up. Um, add to that the, um, my status as a faculty kid, you know? And I, ha I have two younger sisters. Um, What's up, sisters? Sup, sisters. And we used to sing. We 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 had a little trio, and and we sang, you know, special musics, and we recorded our little CD and things like that. So I have all these all these gifts, all these talents. I'm I'm Pastor Cornejo's son, and. You know, I'm good looking and all of this. So when you ask that question, when did I learn to scheme like that? I don't know if I ever made a conscious decision as much as it actually was. That was my circumstance where I didn't mm. get the consequences that I should have gotten if I got a bad grade or if I got in trouble in school or if I beat somebody up. It, I, Yeah, it was more of like, I guess this is what life is like. But the few times that I got in trouble, I either always had my parents, my mom, my dad, bailing me out. Um, I remember that if I, you know, school projects and whatever, my, my parents would help me. But in that regard, I would actually take advantage because I just hated school. And so my parents would end up pretty much helping me with the entire project. Mm -hmm. um, or if I get a, a bad grade or if I need an extension, I can just like put a puppy face, you know, on, you know, I can go to my principal or my teachers and it's just like, I'm sorry, can you give me an extension or whatever? And they will give it to me, you know. Cut me some breaks like that. Uh, and so discipline, timeliness, all of that was not a part of my life. And that's just kind of how I lived. Who uh, who was God at this point? Like you're, I'm, I'm assuming like this is before high school, when, when high school happens, maybe different stuff. But who was God as you're growing up? You know, your daddy is in the, the in the seminary, so you're your household knows about God. Who was, the, what was the picture of God in your mind? Oh, God, God, God was, God was real. You know, I love Sabbath schools and, uh, because my parents would, uh, you know, have devotions with us and, and teach us and read the lesson with us. You know, I would show up Sabbath morning, you know, and get all the stickers because I knew all the answers to the things. And, and I had fun, you know, I, I, I and my, my, for example, my uncle was, my uncle was the, the choir director for the university. And 
And even though I was like young, maybe 14, 15 or 13, I started singing in the university choir. And that was super cool and gave me some sort of status for what it, for what it was worth. And I liked it actually, you know, I enjoyed it. And again, singing with my sisters as well and, and participating in different plays and things like that. So God was events hmm. and stickers. Hmm. <laughs> and, and I knew <laughs> a lot about him <laughs> and I thought that that was it. Like, and so my life was easy growing up in that way. So who was high school Eddie? High school Eddie was, was pretty much the same, except that uh, now he was addicted to porn. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a big deal. Like, uh, yeah. how, how did that come about, dude? Were you just... Just like all the other stories, you just happened upon it one day and mm-hmm. happened upon it one day and I was just captivated. Yeah. My, my heart, my heart couldn't unsee it. And yeah, I just saw it after it as much as I could. Did you know, like, did you know it was wrong? Did you feel ashamed or were you just like, well, I, I can't. I, I knew there was a sense of, of, I knew there, there was a sense of it being wrong because I was doing it in secret and, and hiding stuff. But, uh, I never actually had this sense of maybe I should stop. Hmm. Like, like I said, it, it captivated me at such an early age. And I just saw it after and I knew it was wrong. That's why I did it in secret. I didn't know how harmful it would be in the long run. Yeah, I didn't know the repercussions of what it would do to my life. And I don't know if that would have helped. I don't know if that would have helped or not, but uh, it was what it was. And I just gave myself to it. I gave myself to it. So was God and all these things you're learning about, was that separate from this thing? This was its own thing and God was his own thing and they didn't oh, meet? 100%. 100%. Early on, I learned how to compartmentalize because, uh, you know, if in school I was student leader, I was the, the class pastor, uh Academically, I was uh, I wasn't good, <laughs> but socially, I had everything going for me. And I mean, I, I even I you know one of my my someone that I looked up to was my cousin Caleb, and he's like seven years older than I am. Like I ran with that crowd with the older kids, and you know, so the jokes that my cousin told the next day, I would like go and and, and tell them to my younger peers, mm-hmm. you know, jokes about dirty. girls and dirty jokes and, you know, conversations that older teenagers have. So, yeah, in, in, in that kind of uh, like a different way to look at women and, and, and think of women, uh, like I was seven years older because of my, my peers, my, my cousins, the crowd that I was hanging out with. 
when I was like just a little kid losing my innocence and all I wanted to do is just play soccer and whatever. But I was already thinking all these other things. So there was never a thought like one day I'm going to stop this or this isn't like, it's just like, oh, like you're not thinking of the future. You're not thinking of no. any kind of serious consequences. Mm. No. Now, in fact, it was funny because I, I was caught up in the, and as I'm speaking to you right now, I, I was just caught up in the middle of innocence and, and trying to fit in with the older crowd and, and, and have some sort of standing and status. And that trumped my innocence. Because I remember uh, I was probably a junior in high school and there was this freshman college girl that um, she liked me. And we started dating. And three months later, I, I was not so wanting to be with her because I wanted to play ball. I wanted to be with my friends. I wanted to hang out with my cousin. I wanted to, you know, do stupid stuff. And, and she just wanted the more, hey, can we go on dates and things like that. I was just like, nah, man, I'm good. So even even in that regard, like even though I was addicted to porn, I wasn't even like so lost that I would want to do things with her. And so, yeah, again, like caught up in, 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 in between purity and trying to be cool and recognized. So when do you leave Peru? So we come to the States in 2000. I was 16 years old. So January twenty fourth of two thousand. So you're 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 about to be a senior. You're young for yes. Yeah, so a junior down there. I was a junior down there. I come into the states and um, and I don't know the language at all. Right. And this is public school. Public school, yeah. And, and um, you can't speak English. I can't speak a lick. And I have um, my cousins are in school. Uh, two uh, two boys and one girl, and and out there in that farming community back in two thousand, three Hispanic kids were a novelty. And it, so, how did you get along without speaking English? How long did it take for you to start speaking English? I always wanted to to do things perfectly, and by the book, that was something that I don't know where it started, but. Uh, when you when you know if you're learning a language you just got to speak it <laughs> that's how you learn a language and i would not allow myself to speak or to engage in conversations because well first of all i i was i carried a lot of, of shame and i was embarrassed a lot um because for all the clout that i had growing up for all the status the standing or whatever Hmm. Yeah, and I think this is this is cool because it's just been revealed to me. I was a hypocrite. <laughs> hmm. Because amongst my peers, I was cool and I was edgy and I was all these things, but I was just a copy of my seven year older cousin. Hmm. You're acting. Yeah. I was just acting. I was just telling the same jokes and I was doing all this stuff. And um, 
Yeah, there was this space where I never actually developed my own my own self, you know. Hmm. Because so yeah. So what was the shame then? Like you get to the United States and you don't really you're not really anybody. You don't know who you are, or yeah, pretty much because I'm not cool anymore. I don't speak the language. I don't have that social surrounding that says, oh, Eddie, dude, you're so funny, or man, you're so, like, whatever. Like, So you, you, show, up, you show up to college and your, your identity is, what, what's your identity? My identity, again, it has, it's nothing. <laughs> so when I go to Southern, uh, I guess it's just more, more of the same, where I'm, I'm, uh, I show up and... And I try to be this likable guy, cool guy, and looking forward to making new friends. So I guess that was part of my identity, just just looking to be accepted. So when I started, I I I started with, you know, not wanting to be a a pastor. Uh, I didn't want to have anything to do with theology because I thought it was whack. I thought it was boring. Like, right. Because... Yeah, besides I know everything there is to know about God. I don't I don't want to learn that, <laughs> you know. Right. But uh I I still want to I still want to have the appearance of of being a good kid. So I'll do nursing because I want to help people. Quote unquote. Cool. <laughs> but that wasn't it. My real motive was I want to make money. I hear they only work three days a week and they make a lot of money and they just rest the, the rest of the time. Yeah, ask Natalie about how uh, that three days a week, it's just easy. Exactly. Little did I know, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I have a sister that, that is a nurse. Shout out to all the nurses as well. They do amazing work and I just didn't know what I was getting myself into. And now I'm in the dorm with no parental supervision. There is... Friends, there is video games, there is shows to watch, there is uh, people to hang out with, there is club activities to get involved in, and more opportunities to lust after. And what I mean by that is just like you know, you're in college and you're you, now you're in your prime time to just date or hook up or whatever. Uh -huh. But I was in the dating time. I. The, the dating type. I never was. Uh, because of my fear of rejection, because of my fear of discrimination, because now in the States I had experienced some of that as well. And, and I'm just one more Spanish kid in the bunch. My, my sense of self-worth self is, is pretty low. And so women, dating girls is not it. So I have to find something else. What am I good at? Well, I'm good at music. So I start getting involved in that, leading worship teams and um, serving in, in 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 church and doing vespers and and I I realize that I'm actually pretty good and there are pretty good musicians now in college to surround yourself with and just jam and. And so then that becomes my identity. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm the music guy on campus. I'm the worship guy on campus. And somehow that, that kind of attributes you as being some sort of 
spiritual guy. And so now I have to keep up that facade. Now the mask of being a hypocrite has to come on stronger because, man, I am addicted to porn every time I move to a new dorm room. I'm just like, God, please. <laughs> Not in this room. <laughs> new computer, please, God. Not in this computer. Yeah, never again. Never again. And then two days later, I'm back at it again. And now the fear of like, man, if people knew who I really am, like, they're not gonna, yeah, they'll be disappointed in me. So, and this, at this point, you haven't been in any relationships yet. You're, you're like, okay, I'm a good musician. Um, and that will give me some of the status that I used to have growing up. That will give me some identity here that will set me apart. But if they really knew who I really was, I'm struggling with this thing and I don't know how to get out of it. And all this is going on while you're, quote unquote, trying to be a nurse, but how are classes going because of all this other distraction? Every semester, I would get a letter saying, you have not made it into the nursing program. And because I didn't take care of my classes. And, and then what I would tell myself is like, well, it's because I've been ministering a lot, you know, I've been serving the Lord. I end up dating this this girl that again she's older than I am. She's a senior. I'm still I'm a freshman, and and it brings me some sort of standing again as far as my 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 reputation or like oh amongst my friends oh he's dating that senior girl and whatnot. Um, and man, that relationship uh, it's sad. It's sad. I crossed the line that I never thought. I would have, and mm. as we had sex, and by the time I'm there and doing that, what rises up in my heart is, well, this is who I am, and in my heart, sex is all I wanted. I had woken up to that, and that's all I wanted, and. And yeah, I'll speak your love language and yeah, we'll have quality time and we'll go hang out with your friends just so that at the end of the day, I can get what I want. And when I didn't, I would be so pissed off because I gave you what you wanted all day and now you're supposed to give me what I want and you're not. And so we would get in arguments and fights and whatever and then... And you didn't believe you could control yourself because this is who you were in your mind? I just didn't, I didn't need to control myself. I, I, I didn't care anymore. Why is that? Why didn't you care? Like a few seconds ago, you're like, oh man, I can't believe it. And now that you're in it, you're like, nah, I'm, I'm Yeah, because in, I mean, yeah, two, three years later of that thing, it's just like, yeah, I'm all in. And it becomes this thing where, like, God, this is who I am. If you want to free me from all this, it's going to take a miracle, you know? Until, But until that happens, I'm going to give myself to it. Because mm -hmm. to explore some sort of uh, healing or 12-step program or whatever would have been so, uh-uh, that's not me. I don't have a problem. I'm good. I have this porn under control, right? 
And so it was a compartment in my life that I never touched, I never addressed. Like, I don't have an issue. That was pride. There's like double-mindedness, even in your flesh, there's double-mindedness. Like absolutely. It's just like, I got a problem, I can't believe this, this is who I am, I'm terrible. Coupled along with, I'm not, I don't got a problem, I got that under control. Yeah, because everybody's telling me how great I am, and uh, look at my fruits, right? I'm, I'm... I'm training other musicians, other students, and we're putting bands together. Just getting to know people and networking and all of that. And I thought that that persona was more valuable to me than actually taking care of the issues that I had. And if people knew that I was going to a 12-step, if people knew that I was addicted to, to porn, if people knew that I was, you know, sexually active, they would have been so disappointed in me. And what they thought of me right there and then matter more than me taking care of that issue. And I so try, we- dog. I try the filters. I try the prayers. I try the every everything that ha- that that didn't involve an accountability partner. I tried it. And so I was just like, this is it, man. This is my life. I'm just not even going to bother. Are, are you a theology major by this point? Yeah, it gets to the point, dude, where I cannot make up any more science classes to make it into the nursing program. And uh, subsidies running out and I got nothing to show for. So I'm just like, dude, I'll switch. I I got the call. (laughs) Went to a week of of prayer. You got the call one day when you saw your report card. You're like, oh, he wants me to go into the ministry. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how it went. So messed up, bro. (laughs) Messed up. And of course, my parents were happy and whatnot. And um, I went into the ministry, and uh, now I have to start all over again. <laughs> Definitely got my sciences out of the way. So, did this being in theology while living this, you know, life sexually active, addicted to porn, masks all the time? Like, did being in theology make it heavier? Or were you in some way like, this will help me get out of this? Like, what was the mindset? Yeah, so there was a little bit of like, this will help me get out of this. This will absolutely help me get out of this. But uh, the guilt, shame, the condemnation, the, the all of that became even more heavy. And so, so that I wouldn't feel that bad, then porn became... <laughs> My escape, and yeah, it was just this cycle of death. We're always trying to, to, to feel good about myself, but engaging in porn and, and you know, premarital sex. Now, as a theology, it becomes more of a of a heavy burden for me. What was God's opinion of you, in your mind? Not what was his actual opinion. Like, what was was he dis- Like, who did he, you think he was not disappointed in me because I was a worship leader? Oh. Yeah, he's like, "Hey, all that stuff that you're doing, you're cool because you played mighty to save at church." Yep, exactly. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Weird, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And dude, I, I kid you not, I, I became so good. I was, I was good at my craft, dude. I, but, but it was so messed up because it was all performance. I remember one of my boys. Um, he was the student chaplain at the time, and he invited me to lead one of 
you know, one, one Vespers. Um, mm-hmm. And I told him, dude, when I go up, dude, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to turn it on. You'll see, you'll see. And it's going to become so spiritual and like, it's going to be dope. Just watch. So I'm leading the worship set and whatnot. And I looked at my boy and I give him a wink because that's when I turn it on and I say the spiritual thing and I, and I move people's hearts and whatever. And like, you know, a couple of kids are crying in, in the audience and I'm just like, yep, because this is what I do. And I'm just, and I'm just, and it all becomes about me, dude. Hmm. It was all about me. And, 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 and afterwards, just putting that posture of like, man, Eddie, what a great worship set. I'm like, oh, praise God. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. So how does this, how do you get out of this relationship? Because I know you're not married to whoever this person is. How, how did that end? And, and so Jayla come onto the scene? Yeah, I'm three years, four years in, super senior. And uh, I have nothing to show for. The relationship is terrible. Um, more fights, more. Did you more... ever think you were going to get married? Oh, <laughs> there were three lies that I lived under as I was dating. The first one was the lie of time. We've spent three, four years of our life together. That has to count for something. I can't just yeah. break up. Right. Then the other one was uh, the friends in common that we have, that social, that social pressure and the, the friendships that we have in common and whatnot. If I break up, like, man, I'm going to lose all these friends or whatever. Uh, we do ministry together. We travel. We do all this stuff together. And then the last one is like, well, we already had sex. So I have to marry this woman. Bro, and I was I, like, I was already moving towards that direction. I was looking hmm. to buying rings, but um, I don't even know how I broke out of this. Oh, I know how. Because during the summer when I went back home, there was another girl that I started liking. Oh, no. And so uh, we kind of had a fling while I was in a long-term relation, long-distance relationship with this other girl. And so then I realized, man, like if I'm, I'm already like flinging away and, and, and talking to other girls, like I don't really like this girl. And then trying to justify, you know, I need to break up because this is a toxic relationship. My life is going nowhere academically. So I need to focus. So I broke up with this girl. So when does Jayla come onto the scene? What, 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 this is your super senior. Your, I don't know how long you were in college, dude. Was five Best years? Best nine years of my life, dog. <laughs> <laughs> like when does, uh, when does Jayla show up? There is a semester that I'm still kind of dating this girl, right? This is before all of this happens. I'm dating this girl uh-huh. still. And we end up meeting in class, um, in Greek class. And so, we hit it off right away. Now she'll tell you that she liked me first. Um, but I didn't. I liked her as a friend. 
yeah, besides all my insecurities and she's taller and whatnot. And she was just like a, a fun friend to be around. Mm -hmm. That summer happens. I break up with this other girl and I'm trying to get my life together. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not going to date anyone. So we end up taking a bunch of classes together the next semester. And I'm still not not dating. But man, there is something that was so attractive about Jayla. I mean, she was a great cook, super spiritual, fun to be with, a leader in the university, campus ministries and all of that. And I'm like, man, this girl is quality. And one day I just wake up to it. <laughs> I'm like, wow, she is really something. She's And she's actually really beautiful. So why wouldn't I try to date her? Was a was there an aspect of it like she's gonna be able to help me? Like I'm on this new, I'm at, I'm wild at heart or whatever, and and I I'm going after, and this girl's got all of that. Like she is spiritual, she does have the Holy Spirit. Was there an aspect of she could really help me back to what I want to be? One hundred percent, and and that started surfacing even more when once we started dating. Once we started dating, and once we started dating, I knew that that I was going to marry her because of all of that, everything that you just said. Because she's spiritual. She's a great cook. She would be a great pastor's wife. She's independent. She's not clingy or needy. She's funny. She's smart. She's beautiful. Like, so yeah, I, I you know, m my porn issue will be fixed because I don't need to. I wouldn't need to lust after anyone other than my <laughs> wife. And even with that thought, yeah. right? Like, because right. I don't, now in freedom, I don't lust after my wife. I love her. I respect her. I admire her. And love and lust have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's a topic. That's a different conversation altogether. Yeah, but, but that mindset is so whack. Like all the dudes with the beautiful wives don't have any uh, lust problems. Yeah, no, that's or like a, like that's that's a lie. Like your problem isn't because your problem is because you're you don't understand what's happened. But yeah, we, your we problem is because you have a that. whack heart, it's deceived and you need a new one. <laughs> yeah, it, it has nothing to do with who you're dating or who your wife is yeah. or, or anything like that. But no one told so, me that, so I thought that I could get a, a hot girlfriend and uh all my problems solve all your problems. Exactly. So how did she handle like you telling her about your your past relationship? Oh, she actually called me out on it. She's like, I know you had sex before marriage because you dated this girl for three, four years and there's no way in heck that that you kept that purity. Because I know you, you're very like, you know, touchy feely and, and you know, it just is what it is. I'm like, Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh it, she's like, that's not going to happen between us. I'm like, no, of course not. And, uh, but again, it was more of the same, uh, because I didn't have discipline in my own heart. Like I let her be the gatekeeper and I tried to push cross lines and she broke up with me. That destroyed me because I was like, I, I blew it. I blew, she is the one and I blew it. <laughs> she can, she's my savior. Right, she can make my life better. She will make my life better, and I blew it. I blew it. 
And this was actually while we were working at summer camp. She broke up with me. Um, Man, your honesty right here is like if somebody's hearing this and you've just heard this whole story, your honesty is, is raw because it's just very sad on what your mindset and what you believed about yourself. And you were just a prisoner to, to however it's going to go. Yeah. Like, and, and the deciding, the, the, the decision makers in your life were, were everybody else. They were going to decide how it was going to go for you. So Jayla is your savior in your mind. Like that's very, it's sad to see it, but it's like that kind of honesty can, we can see, man, the, the, the deception you were under. Yeah, dude. And I mean, I was a kid looking for validation, looking for everybody to shape my identity. So of course that played a huge role in my, my decision to, to pursue her and be with her and not mess it up. So how'd you get back together after she broke it off? So at the end of that summer, um, she asked me out again and we started dating. So we get back to Southern to finish out uh, either my last semester, our last semesters. And uh, we're dating and people on campus are like super pumped for us because we're both spiritual leaders and uh, we're so cute together and da 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 So more status, more standing. Um, <laughs> and... It's my my last year of school, and and now um, the 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 church and the senior pastor at the time wanted to to change some things and and pushed for a student led worship service. And now I'm dating. I'm trying to finish up school. S my last semester comes around, and. I have taken, in my academics, I have taken all the classes that I could take to walk away with a theology degree, except that I had failed a language class. And that didn't come until the following semester. Now, Jayla is about to graduate. I should have been graduating if it wasn't for this class. I'm talking to my advisor and he's like, well, I mean, you can still march, you can still graduate. Uh, but not with a theology degree, but with a religious studies degree. And I took it. Hmm. But it hurt, it hurt me. It hurt my ego. Because I saw religious studies as a lesser degree. And n now I'm just less than. Even though I'm everything on campus, right? I'm the student pastor, I'm the worship leader, I have the pretty girl, I have the status, I have the all of it. But academically, it's just like, man. Were you guys engaged at this point? Yeah, we were engaged. And now it's time to graduate, go through interviews um, where different church leaders come and they pick up you know, future pastors to either put in a local church or send them to seminary. 
And all the Theo guys got to go first. And because I'm not theology anymore, I get to go last. But then everybody's hired up and I didn't get a chance to interview. And I am so hurt because, again, I'm the tip of the spear here on campus and I don't get a call. And these other homies got a job (laughs) over me. That hurt me, dude. I am offered the, the student chaplain position on campus, but I'm just so hurt, I don't even want it. And Jayla actually knows someone at a different church that is looking for a worship pastor. And so I'm like, yeah, we're going to take that one. Um, besides, it'll be the first year of our marriage. It'll be good to disassociate from uh, the community here. So that we can just kind of be out there by ourselves uh, in no man's land. And that'll definitely bring us closer to one another as well. Let me me ask you this question, then we'll take a a break. During this whole time, you're still, I'm imagining you're still struggling with porn, but maybe it's less than because of all this other stuff going on? Oh, I mean... It came in waves. It was probably more because of the sadness, the depression or whatever. That's Pornography was my source of validation. I didn't know it then. I know it now. So every time I fell down, I would go to it to feel better about myself. But then I walk away feeling worse. Right? Okay. So when, when, you're, when you're getting passed over for jobs and when you didn't, when either Greek or Hebrew kept you back... Like pornography was like your medication mm-hmm. to feel better. And so then you're getting married. Did you, what did you know about the gospel? Like, who is God now? Oh, I know everything there is to know about God. Yeah, but he's not my personal savior. Hey, I wanted to take a break to tell you about the Healed from Sin Bible study that takes place on Monday nights at 8 o'clock Central. And what that is, is me and my brother Elias, uh, we're talking about walking this thing out. Uh, it's for, for people who have seen Wave 1, they they understand freedom from sin, but they want a community to, to walk this thing out with. Well, that's what we do on Monday nights. And we have testimonies, and it's just been a huge encouragement. So please, if you want to... If you want to kick it with Elias and I, email steady at lovereality.org and ask for the list of uh, Bible studies and the links and the times, and we will get that right out to you because we want you to take part in it. Uh, Eight o'clock central, Heal from Sin Bible Study. How's your boy? Yeah, so we moved to Carolina. We moved to Carolina our first year of marriage, and I'm fresh out of college. And we move into a church that it's, uh, you know, contemporary and there's worship style. So it just suits my, my skill set. We're there for about three years and things are popping off professionally. I feel like, yeah, I deserve to be here. I got here because of, of what I know and, and, and how I do things. Quickly forgetting that it was Jayla's contact that got me in, right? 
But everybody's saying like, <laughs> man, Pastor Eddie, you know, the way you lead the church, the, the, the way you lead the youth and they love you and, and the parents love us and the adult love us. And when I preach, I, you know, I try to kill it. And so, you know, afterwards people are just like, man, I never thought about it this way or this way. What were you preaching? What kind of stuff were you preaching? <laughs> even early on, I wasn't even preaching anything that uh, that I didn't come up with on my own. So it was like it was like finding other people's sermons series and just adapting and and then I would go out and perform it and and uh, yeah, it was a good show. But nothing took root in my heart. Did you know that your heart was so far from this or were you like, oh, this is what it is? I knew it was far from from it by by year by year two. By year two. How's the marriage going? By year two. Good. We were happy. But but I was unfaithful from jump early on because this is the other lie that I start believing well um, now I'm married I have this wedding band so for all the former friends and girlfriends and, and women out there that I that you could tell that they're struggling in their marriages and whatnot and, and we actually cross paths in the past I'm a slide on your DM how soon after you're married are you doing this? Maybe first year, maybe the second year. Was your conscience violated or did you just push that to the side? I pushed that to the side. It was more of the same. It was something that I wouldn't deal with. It was just like, and this, and this was the lie, dude, because I would have text conversations uh, with other, with other women. Uh and if at first it was, it seems like innocent, little by little, you know, I, I throw in some questions or, or compliments or flirts or, or jokes or things like that. And it's like, you know, laying down these crumbs. And if the other person is reciprocal, mm -hmm. then I know it's, it's a go. And there's this lie that says we're never going to cross a line because I'm married. You know, I'm married and, you know, I know that you're married, but, uh, you know, I, I never made a conscious decision that, oh, sh this woman needs something that she's not getting. So I'm going to give it to her and I'm going to take advantage of her, her situation. But, uh, because it wasn't it that just felt good. It just felt good because it was about me. It was about me. And in, in the thought that, oh, women want me, you know, I'm desired. Um, and so in my marriage early on, if, you know, because I, I didn't measure up in comparison to who my wife was, uh, because she's so disciplined, she gets up early and has her devotionals and journals and, you know, she's excelling in, in, at her job and getting all these, you know, opportunities. And she's loved actually for who she is, where I have to perform to be loved. Yeah, I started resenting her. And my thought was like, man, Jayla, you're so lucky to be with me. 
because you know I have mm-hmm. I have all these other women that really want me. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. So is it the same feeling like when you when you had sex for the first time, you never thought you'd cross that line? For sure. When you cross the line and you step outside of your marriage, whether either it's sexting or whatever, like were like did you did you get scared or did you like what was the reaction? The first time I started sexting with someone, I got scared. I got scared and I thought well, again, it it uh, it affirmed in my heart, this is who I am. Hmm. And it'll absolutely take a miracle. God will have to open the heavens and, and just save me from, from myself. Because this is it. I can't stop. I won't stop. Add that to the lie of having to compensate for for the low self-esteem that I had in comparison to who my wife is. And it was just a feel-good drug that uh, that had me trapped. That, Did you ever feel bad for your wife? No, because like, we were happy. Like she doesn't deserve this? Uh, I never thought that. However... I entered into a performance mindset as a husband, both uh, emotionally and sexually with her. Our sex life was present. However, I carry so much shame. And so even early on in our marriage bed, I would have to recall thoughts and images and sounds and and these other lustful thoughts in order for me to to get in the in in the in the zone for her sake so she does so that she doesn't think that anything is wrong with me or that I'm I don't find her attractive or that you know I didn't want to mark her like that but it wasn't as much as I didn't want to mark her like that I just didn't want to be found out that something is wrong with me that I have this double mm. life, that I'm addicted, that I have all these, you know, other women that I'm sexting with or or conversing with and whatnot. This doesn't sound great, bro. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> it wasn't, man. It wasn't. While on the outside, still performing as a youth pastor and, and all of that. And by then, actually the conference... Uh, decides to sponsor me full-time and send us to seminary. So three years after my first assignment, with all that baggage, with, with all that that I was carrying, they say, you're going to seminary. So we're excited. I'm excited. Uh, we tell our goodbyes to the church. The moving truck is coming, you know, by the end of, of the summer because we need to start classes um, the next semester. And... Um, you know, I, I get a letter saying that I need to raise my GPA to make it into the seminary. So I go into some remedial classes during the summer, online classes to raise my GPA. Oh, at the end of the summer, dude, I get a letter from the seminary that says you're denied entrance because you're short 
0.02 points. Dude, my world ended right there and then. Because my conference is waiting for me to be up there. My church is already looking into other prospects. And they don't know about your grade situation. They don't know about my grade situation. Now I'm unemployed and I, you know, and I don't have the possibility to continue my education. That was probably, that was, that was one of, one of many lowest points to come in my life. <laughs> it's not the lowest. It's, we'll, we'll get to yeah. that. And, um, but my wife did, Jayla. Always a woman of faith. And she's just like, you know, Eddie, she was, of course she was disappointed, but she was not going to let me have it because she's a woman of grace. But she said, we have to go. We still have to go and we'll beg. I'll beg. It's going to work out. We pack everything up, load it up in the Penske truck and we're driving and I'm just so scared, confused. I don't know if it's going to work out. We show up at the dean's office. He's like, what are you guys doing here? And my wife just takes over. She talks, she intercedes, she pleads. At the end of the conversation, the dean is like, man, I've never seen anything like this before. Because of her faith, we're going to put you into remedial classes still uh, this next semester. Welcome to seminary. How, how long did it take for you? Like, did you, like, you're dealing with resentment for your wife before this. And she shows like her faith in you. She shows her faith in God. She does this thing where you're sitting there in the background while she's fighting for you. How long did it take for you to be back to resentment street? And I spent three years at the seminary. Um, I don't know that I resented her during that time because life was good. You know, I was back with in school new friends, social social relations are there because now you're with peers and, and yeah, again, involved with the youth. Yeah, we're making it happen. The parents are in love with us. The kids are in love with us. The group, the youth group is growing. We're killing it. So I got my own thing going on. I, I'm playing music. I'm leading worship again. Um, and... We're having friends. Everything is good. Everything is good. I got on the other on on the other hand, everything is also good because I have this lady I'm sexting with that I have been sexting with, you know, since my second year of marriage. I'm addicted to porn still. Uh, so yeah, this is my life. Everything is good, you know, and that's kind of like that's the mindset. Because, yeah, this is who I am. I'm giving myself to everything that I can give myself to 100%. So everything is good. So by the end of seminary, I think this is probably when I got to meet you, when you're kind of out looking for jobs or there could have been another conference to pick you up. Um, were, were, were you kind of a... Yeah, how did you go about deciding where you guys were going to go after seminary well we were gonna go back to our sponsoring conference right and i find out that i have some classes that i need to remedy and my conference is expecting me back but now jail is pregnant with my with micah so i tell my conference hey guys you know 
uh, here's my wife. Uh, we don't wanna we don't wanna be transplanted from our friends here and start with in a new community with no one that, that we know. And plus, I also want to stay back. I also want to stay back and uh, and I get my emphasis in systematic theology. They're like, oh, great, man, Eddie, do that. Take your last semester. Take another semester if you need to, because we don't have a we don't have a place for you anyway, right? But the but the reality is that I I had flunked some classes and I and I needed to make up for them, but I couldn't tell them that that I was a failure. I couldn't tell them that I failed because hmm. I don't fail. I don't fail. I do everything perfect, even if I hmm. like. That's why it took me three years to actually start speaking the language because it had to be perfect. And obviously, as you can tell, like I kept the accent; it's not perfect. Um, but that that was that was my my mindset. Maybe the older older brother mindset. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but that was my personality. I had to. It was just appearances. I I had yeah. to be perfect in everything that I did, academically, um, socially. Uh, musically, spiritually, uh, maritally, everything had to be just good, perfect. And, uh, and things weren't terrible at home. Although there was this one thing, because, you know, this thing that the uh, husband and wife do, where they kind of tease each other in public mm-hmm. and they make jokes at the expense of one another. I was so blinded. And I guess, you know, Jayla can tell you about, I was so, blinded to how brutal I was, how demeaning I was, how my jokes would cross lines that uh, really would put her down. We would finish the social gathering and in the car she would, Eddie, you embarrassed me in there. And what would you say stuff like that? I don't, what do you mean? What did I do? What, well, you were dishing it out. Well, don't dish it out if you can't take it and blah, blah. Yeah. So you're you cut you're one more mike is born and you're going to go back to your conference that's right uh you're graduated you have your masters of divinity did you did you get your masters of divinity i did get my masters of divinity and now i'm walking away with an emphasis in the systematic theology which is like okay so look a big deal look at the right big brains on exactly on eddie. look at the big brains on eddie so you're going back back to south carolina Yes, we are we are going back to South Carolina, and um, I I I take this job as an as- associate at this big church. It's an old, it's an old people's church. They still play with organ and piano. They still hand out bulletins and things like that, and it's just not what I'm about. It's my skill set then becomes obsolete and useless. Obsolete. Yeah. In, in, in this congregation. And bless their, their hearts, you know, it wasn't their fault. It was all, because it was all about me. I come in with with me in mind and what I can do, what I can offer, what I can whatever. And I take it personal because my skill set is not going to be utilized and whatnot. But I was hurt. I was hurt. So, yeah, we're in that church and the young adults are there. And there is a... There's this this desire to actually grow the church and and work in work with the youth and work with the young adults, and so there is a woman, and she also has the same desires, 
you know, to to see the church grows uh, via via youth, the youth group and whatnot. And so we we start working together. Come to find out, she actually went to the same schools that I went, so she knows what's up. <laughs> when it comes down to youth ministry, we're we're like minded. Um so man, we, we're gonna we're gonna make we're gonna turn this church around. We're gonna make it happen. And you know, a year passes by and we're doing all these efforts and and uh yeah, my wife pulls me aside and she's like, Hey Eddie, you're texting this woman too much, man. You're always you know, conversing with her and you need to tone it down. And if at first becomes something like, yeah, baby, you're right. You know, um, something within me had already woken up, not woken up, but like it was more of the same, right? The same flirtatiousness, the same type of conversations that I would had with other women in the past started happening with mm-hmm. this, with this, with this lady. And uh, she was open. We became sneaky about it, about the relationship for a while. And this is all taking place like over time. It's not like one day you're you're planning the youth event and the next day you're in DMs. It's just little flirtations, little things that are just building up over time. It's and all over time. A little line is crossed mm-hmm. here, a little line is crossed there. And so you don't even know where how you've gotten there, right? That's how my entire life was. So, yeah, all, all of it becomes this slow, progressive thing. Again, not being the steward of my own heart, always relying on, on other people to be the gatekeeper of my own life, you know, and not mm-hmm. taking responsibility for my own actions, always being, you know, rescued or, or saved or bailed out by my parents, my friends, now my wife, and now these other women she, you know, will go as far as she wants to go. And I spent almost three years in that congregation. And a year and a half of it was spent with this woman on a full-blown affair. Full-blown affair. And it was sad, dude. It was sad because that was a point in my life that I had never thought I would get to. And I did. And guilt, shame, condemnation ruled my life, ruled my life. By then, professionally, I was a big fat zero because, first of all, my skill set are not welcome in this church, so I'm not going to give them anything. The few times that I had to preach, I would literally copy someone else's sermon. I, I This time, I wouldn't even try to add my own stuff. I would copy it the night before, work on the PowerPoint, and all of that while watching, I don't know, Netflix, who knows? Not not forgetting the fact that the whole week I, I was either involved in pornography or being with this woman. And um, yeah, it, it was messed up, dude. But then I was so checked out of my marriage. The marriage was bad. At this point, it was bad. I remember when, one time... I heard Jayla crying in the shower. And I walk in, I'm like, what happened, babe? Like, did you fall? What, what's the What's the matter? Like, you're what's the matter, she said. Yeah, I mean, it was just visible, but I couldn't see it. I couldn't see how terrible of a husband I was. 
And every time that, that, and she never, Jayla never, never resented me or, or put anything on me like that. I just didn't see it because by this time, the affair was the center of my life. There, there was no escape. There was no escape. Had you guys talked about like moving forward? Did you guys just think, oh, we're just passing the time with each other right now and this will be over one day? But for right now, we're like, what was the mindset for any kind of plan for a future or? Or was that just thrown out the window because we're just here for right now and it feels good right now? Dude, so I remember I complimented her on her haircut or something, you know? It was like, man, you you always pay attention to me. You always care for me. I remember the first time that she told me, like, I love you and all this stuff. And that's where I I had to pump the brakes because I was like, you think that I'm this amazing man? I'm not. Dude, in my marriage, I'm your husband. I don't pay attention to my wife. I don't look at my wife or compliment her in the way that I'm complimenting you. Like, don't get it twisted. Like, this is, this is not what is what it is. And, uh, you know, she would get her feelings hurt and whatnot. But then I would just, like, play along and be like, yeah, okay, well, then maybe someday we'll, we'll just see what happens. Just telling her what she wants to hear because... There was a fear in my heart as well. Like, what if she tells somebody? She's going to ruin my career. She's going to ruin my life. And uh, so did I always you, have to kind of... Did you see a way out? Yes, there was a way out. I started looking to a di- into a different call, call. Because for all the times that we broke it off with this woman, we would always get back together. Because we try to stop and we try to break it off. And, and it was... This this dance of like we just could we just couldn't. And where was God, dude, in all of this? Did you guys talk about like the guilt and shame together? No, but we we would talk about like we have to stop. We have to stop because it's not right. Not from a godly perspective, but because you know from a, from a moral perspective, it's not right. But we couldn't. We couldn't. So my, my my way of escape was like looking into, and this happened the last the, the last few months. I was already in conversations with another conference with another church, uh, and I wanted to to escape because I was like, this is the only way. I have to get away from this woman if if this is gonna stop. Because you just believe you didn't have any control. We yeah, we didn't have any control. We you, you just once you cross that line, dude. Once you cross that line, and if you think you have it under control, you don't, because you've already given your heart, your body to another person. Things will never be the same. Yeah, you cannot undo what has been done. So, my question is like, we talked about your way out of the affair, and it didn't seem like what was your way out. Just like for your soul, for, for, for you, like, yeah, like with your, your relationship with God. Yeah. So 
for all the knowledge and understanding and theological degrees that I had, in my mind, I would, I had this desire to wait for this last day event kind of thing where, where, where my faith would be tested and I would be asked to put my life on the line for Christ and answer the right question and lose my life in the process <laughs> because I stood on this side of truth and then everything would be good. I would be forgiven. Everything would line up. And so I'm you're going to be like a martyr, like Peter or something. And because yeah. you're a martyr for Christ, you're yeah. going to get in, even though your life has been Whack. lived in complete deception. That's what, that's what was going to save you. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to tell you the truth, Rich, like, I don't know that I would have stood on the side of truth because I love my life too much. I was a coward. I was selfish. I would have, I would have gone the other way. <laughs> But but that was my so thinking. So that, that that wasn't a good plan. That wasn't. So a good you plan. actually thought that one day you're just like this will be my way out. Death, yeah. death will save me from all of this. Yeah, yeah. So the stress of this whole thing, you said it was going on for about a year and a half. Like, I can't imagine. Like, there's stress at the beginning, but there's also a mixture of excitement. Mm -hmm. And now, like, as you're in deep in this thing, like. How would you manage the stress from breaking up and getting back and not wanting it and like this crazy oh, cycle, dude? I would go on on kicks of like, babe, I'm going to work out. I need to work out. Or man, let me just go ahead and, you know, let me start this self-help book. That I, and, and those things would last like three days. Or I would go on a harder kick of, of, of pornography. Or playing video games or playing, or like watching movies. Man, my life was like, it was out of control. I, I had, I had no, no way out. I had no strategy. Like, I mean, I would, I remember waking up like around lunchtime, most every, most every day of the week, especially after the weekend, because you're in the weekend, but, uh, Pastor Eddie, awesome Pastor Eddie that, that plays, that leads, that does the thing. Come Saturday night, I know really who I am and I have to perform with my wife. Come Sunday, it's just like, yeah, I guess I'll wake up and try to be useful and do some chores and whatnot. Come Monday, my wife goes early in the morning to work out and or she goes grocery shopping and she does her devotionals or whatever. I wake up, my breakfast is sitting cold on the on the table. And by then it's lunchtime and Jayla has already done life and i it, i lived in depression dude i lived in depression I, I didn't know it i wouldn't call it that because i had a good life but the last summer when everything came to with this woman i broke out in shingles that summer my sin starts manifesting and it's manifesting in my body as shingles and even through the shingles Man, I remember that. Cause remember, I, I still had I still had these these other woman that I sexted with on dial. Aye, aye. So, because I was bored of of my affair partner, I would hit these other women up. Dude, my life was a living hell. I don't know how I how how I made it as as long as I did, dude, because. Now looking back, holy cow, man. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. 
that he saved me from all of that, man. I don't know how I made it. It's by grace, 100%. So, yeah. You're at the end of this summer, and um, no way out. Still don't know what you're going to do, and how does this thing all come to a head? So remember, I was looking for a way out always, and it made it, it like my salvation was geography, like getting as far away from my my problems as I could. And the problem with that is that you always take yourself where you go. So even if I would have changed locations, the problem would have been there. It was more of the same. And yeah, so we're at the end. We're, we're at the end of the summer, and my ministerials wanna they wanna meet with me, and that's where that's where everything comes to light. So I step into the office, man, and and we're doing the small talk and. I'm so clueless, right? I think that we're going to talk about this, this other thing. And they asked me the question, dude. They asked me a question that, that, uh, I never thought it would come. And they, they said, Eddie, how is, how is ministry going here in this church? Is there anything preventing you from doing ministry? Dude, in that moment, I knew what they meant, but I wasn't sure if they were asking. I didn't, I didn't know if, if they knew that I was having an affair. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to confess. I had too much to lose, man. I, I didn't want to tell them. So I, 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 I answer truthfully, but deceptively. <laughs> and I tell them about my porn addiction because I need to throw them off the scent. If they're on it, I need to give them something. So I tell them about my porn addiction and you know, I go into a little bit how, of what, how long did it take for you to make up your mind as you, like they ask you that question and it's just like in a matter of milliseconds, you're just like, oh, I got to I'll, I'll do this. It's in a matter of milliseconds, will... dude. I think it, it's one of those things where I was listening to this podcast the other day and in the uh, there, there is a study, you know, when when uh, when uh, when a fighter pilot jettisons from their plane. You know, pulls the cord and their, and their seat just mm-hmm. flies out because whatever reason. That's a decision they make in milliseconds. The debrief after an event like that, it's about two or three hours long. And in that moment, the details that those pilots give, they tell you in detail the instruments they looked at. They, they remember how, you know, the, why, why they thought the way they thought to pull the cord. And that was a decision that is taken in, in microseconds. And so for me, when they asked that question, I had to, I had to jettison out of that. And it, and, and it's that kind of stressed, induced, fear driven situation that it's a fight or flight moment mm-hmm. where in milliseconds, I count the cost of everything and I just pull the cord. And the core that I pulled was like, I, I've, I've been addicted to porn. It wasn't confession. It wasn't repentance. It was just a smoke screen just to get them off my back. Because I didn't know if they knew that, that I was having an affair and I wasn't about to confess. So I tell them that. And, they, and then they go and they say, you know, there's counseling for that. And, and they, they, 
they they seem so, pretty uh they seem pretty they seem gracious. like they bought it they seem like they bought it and they seem pretty gracious as far as like you know there there is hope we're gonna put you through counseling and and all of that and I'm just like whew, I dodged that bullet I man okay now let's talk about what we're here to talk about like the church plant I'm thinking all of this right and then they ask me again, dude, Eddie, is there anything preventing you from ministering in this church? And bro, right there, I knew that they knew. And again, that fight or flight thing comes back. And in those, you know, two, three, five seconds that it took me to answer, I thought the following thing. If I confess, if I tell them what happened, I will never, I'll lose my job. They'll, they'll fire me on the spot. I know that. That's a fireable offense. I know it. I will never be able to work as, as a pastor in the denomination ever again. Like, my reputation will be destroyed. Like, oh, like <laughs> my name, my name, you know. My family will be destroyed. My parents, the shame, the guilt, everything that's gonna my wife, you know? And definitely my wife is gonna is gonna leave me. Jaylee's gonna leave me because my wife would always say, like, Eddie, if you ever ever cheat on me, once a cheater, always a cheater. If you cheat on me, that's it. We're done. So yeah, I knew Jayla was gonna leave me. And in that moment, as I'm thinking about all this, I hear what I know now to be the voice of the Holy Spirit that says, yeah, Eddie, but you'll be free. And in that moment, dude, that's what I wanted. Like, I didn't know what that meant, but I heard that I could be free and I wanted that. So I remember, man, after my five second pause of, you know, and thinking all of this, I was like, yeah, I want freedom. So I tell them for the past year and a half, I've been having an affair with so-and-so. And Did they look surprised at all? Did they look like, or were they saddened? Like, what was their they were reaction? Sad. They were sad. They were uh, disappointed. And I don't remember, you know, I, I, did, I still didn't know if they knew. Because how could they know? This woman has said she would never tell. Like, because even if she were told... Were you like, I may have just played myself? No, I mean, because if she told, if she confessed... She had everything to lose as much as I did, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it didn't even cross my mind. And um, I told them, and they're like, you know, we're going to tell your senior pastor, just go home, tell your wife. And so I go to the parking lot, and I sit in the car, and I just feel like my life has ended. Like literally, literally in my mind, I thought that this day would come at my retirement when when I was old, and and like like by then, like both Jayla and I were so old, and I would be able to confess, you know, the kind of life that I lived, and Jayla would forgive me, and everything would be okay. So this day in your mind is like, yo, this came way sooner than I thought it would would happen. This came way sooner than I thought it would happen. And I was just like, how can this be? So I'm sitting in the car, right? 
with all my feelings of shock and 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 sadness and deception like shock shock and um I want somebody to let me know what kind of garbage of a human I am and I have the right person to to let me to match what I'm feeling on the outside so I FaceTime my father-in-law I FaceTime Jayla's dad because he sh- would surely let me have it so I'm in the car and I FaceTime my dad I call him dad and I'm like dad I messed up and I tell him I tell him what happened and I'm waiting for him to let me have it But then he shows me grace. And he says, Eddie, welcome to the club of sinners. <laughs> Saved by grace. Son, I love you. Nothing between us changes. I love you. It's all right. It's going to be all right. I know my daughter. I know my daughter. She's going to be able to forgive you. And your marriage is going to be stronger than ever. And he starts prophesying over my life, over my marriage. It's like your marriage is going to be stronger than ever. You're, you're going to have a testimony that is going to help so many people. And, and I'm just like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, you're supposed to tell me what kind of I am. <laughs> and like, and you're not. <laughs> and so that's the first time I, I met with Grace. And I don't know what to make of it. I, don't, I didn't even know that that's what, what it was. And I just hang up the phone and now I'm, I got to drive home. This is incredible, bro. <laughs> like, who would imagine that, like, that's your daughter, like a dude's yeah. daughter. Yeah. Like, this man knows God. He has to know God. <laughs> yeah. The only he, way you can do that is if you know God. And he does, dude. He, he, he knows what it feels to walk the goodness of the Lord and the goodness of grace. And so later in his years, he's walking in this thing. And and I've only known him as a godly man. But for some reason, I thought that, yeah, he's a godly man. But yeah, after I've done what I've done to my, to my wife, to his daughter, he's definitely going to chop my neck. But he didn't. That's just, um, that's just Titus chapter three, bro. It's like we were once like them. Yeah. It's like if you hear these stories, if you listen to this podcast and you hear these stories and you hear about the death and your position is like, well, his death is way worse than my death. Like if you know what the state you were in, then you hear this stuff and you're like, wow, praise the Lord that like, I don't know the end of the podcast yet, but I know the end of the podcast. And that is, you know, there, I was life. hateful and hating each other, hating other people and being hated by other people. But God, because of his kindness, saved me. Now, I, I just hearing about that, that's, uh, that's Elder Mike has been a testimony in my life. Uncle Mike. Uncle Mike. Yeah. So you're heading home now, like. Is the shock of not being chewed out like? Dude, I don't I'm sure remember just like how adrenaline I made it home. is rushing through your yep. body. 
Yeah, I don't remember how I made it home. All of a sudden, I remember that I'm walking in the room where Jayla is. She's laying in bed, eight months pregnant with Luca. I pull a chair next to her. She tries to hold my hand, and she's like, babe, you know, just tell me no matter what it is, we're going to overcome it. It's going to be good. I, you know, I withdraw my hand from hers, and I'm not even able to look at her in the eye. And I remember saying the following things. I'm a, I, 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 yeah, I clearly remember say, saying this. Remember saying this. I'm about to tell you something that is going to break your heart. And she responded, you cheated on me. I'm like, yep. With who? You know who. Yeah, because we had talked about it. She seen the red flags. I told her nothing was going on. and But a woman knows, bro. I tell her, you know who. And in that moment, dude, she lets out a cry of hurt of, of like she she just wails like I've never heard anyone cry out before okay. to the point that actually Micah comes into the room he's like two years old and he comes in you know because he hears mommy cry like what's going on and how terrible must have been the cry of my wife So she's like, she composes herself and she's like, get out, get out, take Micah with you, get out. So I just kind of grab him and I just go, go for a walk and I'm just holding him because this is it. In my mind, this is it. I'm never going to be able to hold him again because my wife is going to leave me. And I'm just in shock, dude. And again, I'm, I'm just in shock. I come back into the house after a few minutes and she's all packed up. She's like, I'm telling, I told your parents what you did. I'm going to stay with them. I'm taking the, the car. I'm taking the one car because we have one car. I'm taking the car. I'm going there because your mom needs to watch Micah because I need to take care of this unborn baby. Your food is in the microwave. She gets in the car and she leaves. And here's Pastor Eddie that counsels, that baptizes, that leads worship, that has the degrees, that that has the know-how. Like, you know, the guy that had all the answers now has no answer. And who do I call? Like, who do you call? If you If you have all the answers, if you think you have all the answers, who do you go to for answers? So I'm laying in bed, dude, in shock, thinking that, again, this was all going to, like, this was all going to catch up with me in my 60s, not when I'm 33. And in that moment, I just remember that, like, a friend of mine comes to mind, someone that had uh, gone through a similar experience with an affair. And I'm like, hey, this is what I did. I messed up. So she, she opens up her home. That very same day, she opens up her home. She lets her family know. And uh, I step into her home, and and that's the first. That's the you know that's that first day. That first day, it, it all happens so quickly. All of a sudden, I just find myself 
in this in this house and immediately it's just a place of hope for me because this is what my life could look like but I don't know but at least I am with someone that understands what I'm going through that meant a lot to me in that at, at that time that night that's when I gave my life to Jesus <laughs> I saw my sin for what it was. The way I had lived my life and, and every decision that I took, how and every sin that I engaged in, how it hurt me, how it hurt my wife, how, how it was this, this creeping compromise in my life that, 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 that turning to this, you know, ultimate betrayal towards my family, my church community, and myself, my wife, God. And I remember praying and, and telling God, because I, for, for all the time away that I had, for the strained relationship that I had with the Lord, I never doubted that He existed. And so that night I was like, Jesus, God, I want to give you my life. And I, I want to give you a chance. And not for the hope of a restored marriage, not for the hope of a restored job. As much as those things are important, I, I, I want to do this for me, for you and for me. Like, I want you to be the Lord of my life, dude. And that night, dude, I kid you not. I, I walked away from that conversation forgiven. With so much peace. <laughs> like that was the first time in 10 years that I slept with no guilt, with no shame, with no condemnation. And I had so much peace. How, how did you know you were forgiven? I don't know. I don't know. I I just knew that something happened that night because I was able to to sleep with peace. No thoughts, no images, no, no, not even, not even the shock of what had just transpired hours before. I slept like a baby. The next day I woke up and, uh, this friend, uh, whose uh, house I was staying at, she hooked me up with her therapist, a Christian therapist that uh, helped her through, through her own thing. And I FaceTimed mm -hmm. him and I told him everything that I just shared with you. At the end of the conversation, he says, well, Eddie, sounds like you want to live as a man of integrity. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Um, well, you always tell the truth, no matter what. Night number two. Now, here's, in the afternoon, Jayla would text, text me. And, and in the meantime, like the way that I'm operating with Jayla, Jayla wants to know everything. What has happened? How long? And... And so at that point, I'm a man of integrity. So I'm just letting her know what's, what's up. And I tell her about all these other women, my addiction to porn, all the sexting, the DMing and all the, the, the everything. And, and even with the affair partner, like what went down? Cause she wanted to know everything. Her personality is such that she's going to rip the bandaid off. And so right. she want, she wanted everything. So I told her. Was she like replying with like with super anger or you could just tell like it's just pain and she was just taking on all the pain? 
I don't know. I don't remember. All I know is that she wanted to know. And, you know, I assumed that the pain was there. And she wanted to know. And it's like, I live with integrity now. So it'll be what it'll be. By the third night, I get a text from her. Something along the lines that says, Eddie, do you, do you want to stay in the marriage? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Okay, well, and she's like, well, I'm, go I'm going back home. If you want to stay in the marriage, I, I want you to be home when I get there. That blew my mind. So I had to call her. And, and, and it was one of those things because remember, like once a cheater, always a cheater, right? And the night before, I had actually picked up a bunch of like Kindle books, what happens after the affair. And like, I'm, I'm looking for a celebrate recovery, 12 step group, you know, because I'm thinking I'm going to stay here for months and I'm giving my life to Jesus and I'm actually going to take care of this issue. So I don't know how long I'm going to be here for, but I, I'm going to start looking for, you know, self-help. I, I need to get better. I need to overcome this thing. And so some of the things that, that, that jumped off from the readings were like two things are going to happen if there is hope for reconciliation. The first one is that your job from now on is to heal her wound. You're the one that, that was at fault. So you're going to heal her wound for the rest of her life because she's going to be emotionally neutered, sexually neutered, you know, and, and, and even if there is like 10, 15 years later, everything is fine. There might be a memory, a thought, a, a something, a trigger, and she's going to relapse. And in the way it, you're going to be able to heal her wound. First of all, do you commit to that, to, to that kind of life? And my answer was yes, absolutely. It doesn't matter. Like, I know that I want Jayla. I want my family to be together because this is the thing, bro. The grass is never greener on the other side. <laughs> In my own marriage, I had I had a wonderful wife. So the the other the other thing is like the way to heal her wound is answer the same questions that you've answered before, and don't don't take offense. So that was the posture of my heart. And so by the time I get that text on the third night, I'm just like, what is going on? So I pick up the phone and I'm like, Hey Jayla, what's happening? Like. I mean, once a cheater, always a cheater. Like what changed? You don't want to ask too many questions in, change, in case she changes her mind. So she, before she actually goes on, she asks me the following question. And she says, Eddie, is there, is there any guilt or shame for what you did? Whew. Dude, in that moment, I was just like, oh boy, she's not going to like my answer. And I tell her, Jayla, you probably won't like my answer, but I don't have any guilt or shame for what I did. Now, if you're listening to this and you might, you might think like, wait, that's not the answer you're supposed to give. You're supposed to say, yes, I have so much guilt and shame for what I did. And I'm sorry, honey, and this, that, and the other, but like, it had, dude, Rich, it had been only two days. And the depth of the gospel that had taken place in my heart was just supernatural. 
that was supernatural. And I, and, and I told, and I told her like, Jayla, you're not going to like the answer, but like, I gave my life to Jesus two nights ago and I've asked for forgiveness of him. And I know that he's forgiven me and I ask for forgiveness of you. And I hope that someday you will forgive me, but no, I don't have any guilt or shame for what I did. So, and, so and, the reason why you didn't feel the guilt and condemnation is because you had owned the fact that he had forgiven you. Dude, it must have been. I mean, I confessed it. Right? And it, it, it's not now, now that we, that we walk in freedom now, years later, we've, we've understood confession and, and, and the stewardship of heart and the positioning of heart and, and all of that. But, Back then, two days later, I was just like learning all these things and it was brand new. And, but that's just kind of how the spirit was teaching you this, how spirit was teaching me all of these things. And so after I tell her this, she says, good, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. That's exactly mm. what I wanted to hear. And I'm like, wait, what? And I'm like, what do you mean? What what happened? And she's like, Eddie, for the, actually, you don't know this, Eddie, but for the past year and a half, I've 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 been studying and I've been learning that guilt, shame, and condemnation are tools of the enemy that he uses to keep you in deception and the lie. So, it's good to hear you say that you don't have any guilt or shame. My mind is blown away right there and then. But, yeah, dude, like she. She forgave me right there and then. Like the moment when, when I, when she, I think this is worth, worth saying right now. When I tell her what happened and she starts crying out, spirit cut through the noise in that moment. And he said, Jayla, don't take this personal. This is about a man that doesn't know his worth and his value. Immediately, she says, and she will tell you, immediately she forgave me. And she felt compassion for me. That's why my food was waiting in the microwave. Because as she's thinking, as she's putting her, her, her belongings and Micah's belongings in suitcases. And she's thinking about staying with my parents in Atlanta. She actually has the, the compassion in her heart to put a plate of food together for me because she knows I'm helpless in the kitchen. And she leaves it in the microwave because she loves me. (laughs) And because of what spirit told her, she never, she never allowed herself to be a victim of her circumstances. And she saw the truth for what it was. And she saw that I was a man caught up in my deception, living at the expense of the addiction. And it had nothing to do with Jayla. She had compassion over me. I received it. I went home a couple of days later. I stopped by the conference. I get fired. My credential, ministerial credentials are taken away. But who cares? I'm going home. I'm going home to my wife. As your world has come crashing down on, I believe it's August 8th. Am I right? If I remember all these stories. Yeah, dude. So let me give you the quick rundown. August 8th. 2017. That's when I told her about the affair. The next day, August 9th, should have been our eighth wedding anniversary. (laughs) 
we don't celebrate it for obvious That's reasons. <laughs> you know, on the 11th, she invites me back into the house. On the 14th, August 14th, I get fired. August 21st, Luca is born. August 31st is Micah's birthday. By the end of September, we are moving into my dad's house in Atlanta. So as this is going down on that first night, something happens miraculous, supernatural, where you don't know. I don't like I've tried to I don't know if you can explain it or maybe you can, but it's just that you were forgiven. Like the Holy Spirit comes in and and lets you know that you're forgiven. I don't know how to put it into words. When I gave, when I prayed that prayer and I gave my life to, to Jesus that day, I just believed that it was so, which is crazy mm -hmm. because <laughs> for all the, for all the unbelief, for all the, the layers of deception that I had and for all the knowledge, theological knowledge that I had, I just believed. And, and, and here's the thing, man, like, I, I think my, I believed that I was free because that afternoon spirit had said that I would be free. Mm. And I walk out of that meeting and I'm met with grace by my father-in-law mm. that welcomes me with open arms and, and, and it calls me son. And it doesn't matter what happens, you know, later that night, I just confess the thing. And I just find my standing as a son, forgiven son. It's wild, dude. <laughs> I, I, you know. And and our lives have never been the same. My life has not been the same. And dude, now I have like ye years later, years, you know, four years later. <laughs> our marriage is <laughs> stronger. <laughs> I live with a pure conscience. Everything that that prophesied has come to pass. And there is more to come. I know that. And it just blows my mind. It just blows my mind, man, because God is so good. And let's, um, yeah. let's end on this. If someone's listening to this thing and they don't know how to get out, they're just stuck. They don't know how to get out. They don't see a way out. But for some reason, they're listening to this whole story. And they they want out. And they're thinking maybe death is the answer. They're thinking maybe geography is the answer. What do you tell this person that just wants out? Father, for the person that is listening right now, that wants out, Holy Spirit, come into their hearts right now. Speak to them the truth of who they are. Reveal to them the value of their life. Let them know how loved they are. Holy Spirit, in this moment, 
are still listening and they want out. Speak directly into their heart. Let them know that they're loved. And I just want to create this time of space, silence, so that, Spirit, you will speak to them and declare to them how you see them. My brother, my sister, what you just heard is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Believe what he told you. He doesn't see you for what you've done. He sees you for what you just heard. Daughter, son, I love you. You're not condemned. I forgive you. It's not your fault. Whatever you heard, <laughs> take it to heart. And yay, God, because now <laughs> you can walk lighter. And I rejoice with you and I celebrate you because your life will never be the same. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to them right now for removing that veil of unbelief, of, of, of believing that they're always going to be this thing. And now they can see with clear eyes what you have always seen, even before you created the world. Holy Spirit, seal their hearts with your presence. And we thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. When you say it's, when you say it's not your fault, what do you mean? How can someone hear that? They're saying, Eddie, it is my fault. They're saying, Eddie, it was your fault. What do you mean? <laughs> Don't take sin too personal. It's not your fault. It was sin in you. Yeah, granted. There are things that you did and whatever, you feel like you did it and it was your doing and it was your choice and you had no other way around it. But man, scripture is very clear. It is sin that entangles you, that rises up, that causes you to live this, this way. But there is hope. There is the, the reality of Christ living now in you and declares you as, as, as holy, as righteous blameless, who has forgiven you. Take that personal. Take what scripture says about you personal instead of everything that you've done that says it's my fault. Now, granted, if there are consequences... We're not getting out of responsibility or anything. That's not Yeah, no. If there, if there are consequences that are going to come, yeah, you're going to face them. But you can face them with peace, with confidence, and knowing and trusting that you're forgiven. There's going to be so much more, man. And if you've you've gone this far with us on this story, you might as well keep going with us in the subsequent episodes that, that you're going to hear. Keep coming back and keep listening because you're. this is a quarter or a third of this story of redemption, of Eddie's life. And 
In no way are we making light of any of this stuff. But we don't dare make light of the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy and the love that he has bestowed upon us. And... Yeah, keep... I want I want you to listen to the rest of this story as, it, as uh, these episodes come out. And I think that you'll find that... That God loves you. And he has forgiven you. Past, present, future. It wasn't your fault you were born into sin. You did participate on it, in it. You do have responsibility. But he has freed you from sin. You are not condemned. You're never going to die. That second death. And he lives in you and you live in him. And that's just what's going to keep coming out. And um, it's so important. There's a reason why we're hanging out here to tell you this story. It's so important. And this story has changed my life. Uh, And so, thank you, my brother. I love you, dog. Got me singing like glory, yeah. It got me telling my story. Know that your love is pouring on me, and love is pouring on me. River flowing in and never ends. More than life, more than me, more than just pretend. And you can feel the freedom from within. Free to fly, be the child that you always been, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. We would love it if you could share this so that people could hear uh, more of these stories. And a way you can do that is to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a high rating. If, if you give us less than a five star, I'm inclined to believe that you're not really rocking with us. So give us a five star rating and, and throw a comment in there. If you're going to talk about us on social media, go ahead and use the hashtag death to life. And let's get that hashtag going. This podcast is a production of Love Reality. And if you want more information about Love Reality, go ahead and check us out at lovereality.org. This show's produced by Tyler Morrison and Katie Prusha. The sound and editing is done by Addison Collingsworth and Eddie Cornejo. And then the Johnny on the spot is Annabelle Harper. And the artwork is done by Felix Gassman. Thank you so much for listening. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Thank mm-hmm. you.